0: This podcast is sponsored by eBookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at eBookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, no matter how prepared we are, regardless of what we're doing, whether we're on stage or otherwise, Something unexpected is bound to happen. And often, particularly if it's something we're doing for the first time, our reaction is utter panic. Sound familiar, Ryan? (laughs) Oh, yes. Been there many times. (laughs) Our guest today is someone who has pretty much experienced it all, and he's going to share some of his stories on how to turn a potential disaster into victory. Ryan, who do we have the pleasure of speaking with today? Our guest today is Jim Cathcart, a professional speaker who's delivered
1: more than 3,500 convention speeches around the world. Jim is the author of 25 books, including What to Do When You're the Speaker. He's the past national president of the National Speakers Association and is one of the top five most award-winning speakers in the world. Jim has a TEDx speech with 2.7 million views. In 2001, Toastmasters International awarded Jim the golden gavel, and he was also invited to be the keynote speaker for both the 1995 and 2022 Toastmasters International conventions. Jim wrote an article appearing in the December issue of the Toastmaster magazine called Expect the Unexpected. Joining us from Austin, Texas, Jim Cathcart. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here. I love Toastmasters. I've been connected in one way or another all of my career, even though I wasn't a long-term member of Toastmasters. I had three months as a local member of the, what was it called? Indian Nations Toastmasters in Tulsa, Oklahoma, back in the early 1970s. But since that time, I've been a full-time professional speaker, and I've had the honor of appearing at three of your international conventions, as you said. And it was fun contributing once again to Toastmasters magazine to reach so, so very many people worldwide. Yeah, And so I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Toastmasters. Plus, I'm a speaker. That's what I do all the time. I work as a professional speaker and author. And so fellow speakers, Toastmasters, that's my crew. That's my family. Awesome.
1: And we're going to be the beneficiaries, the recipients of some of that wisdom and knowledge that you've accumulated over the years. So let's um, get into some of these unexpected scenarios. I'd love to give our listeners, Jim, a sense of the types of scenarios that you share in your article could you maybe paint the picture for us and set the stage, uh, no pun intended, yep. set up for us one of these unexpected scenarios where your presentation was uh, dancing on the brink of disaster?
2: <laughs> well, there have been so many of them, I could keep you here all day. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to be concise. Let's assume it, uh, that you've prepared enormously. You are you are absolutely, as we say, loaded for bear. You know, you're ready for whatever the world's going to throw at you. You have practiced this speech in your mind. You've re- rehearsed it out loud. You've got all your notes together. You've put together any audio visuals perfectly. And you've checked out the meeting room in advance. You've communicated with the person in charge of the meeting. You've got a sense of the audience. You read up on their website. I mean, you are totally ready, put me in coach, right? I'm ready for this game. (laughs) And you get to the meeting and you encounter what I did once. I was in Lake Lanier, Georgia uh, at a conference center, had a group of about a hundred people in a meeting room at a, at a company convention. And this was just a week or two after the tragedies of September 11th, 2001 when the World Trade Towers, among other things, were attacked. And so everyone was on edge at that time, nationwide. All the travel agencies were, of course. And anyone going to a meeting was hyper alert. So in the middle of my speech, which was going beautifully, all of a sudden the power went out and the room went completely dark. Oh, boy. Now, none of my preparation... Enabled me to handle that situation well. I had to draw on some new skills from somewhere, and I just thought, okay, don't think about me, think about them. What are they experiencing? They're experiencing fear, potential panic, and certainly we're confused. What's the problem? Problem, obviously, is we're in the dark and it was daytime, thank heavens. So I said, would someone, I still had microphone power. And I said, would someone please go to the back of the room and open the drapes? And so someone did. And sure enough, we got some light into the room. But my slides would no longer work. So audiovisual was out and the microphone was not strong enough to really command the room. So I stepped down off the stage, set my slide advancer remote down on the lectern, and walked into the audience and stood in the middle of the group. Uh And I said, would someone please volunteer to go see what the problem is? And a guy raised his hand and I said, okay, we'll wait to hear from you. In the meantime, I'm going to continue my presentation. And I continued my presentation in the round from the middle of the room without audio visuals. The guy came back and said, it's just a power problem. There's nothing else going on. And everybody breathed a collective sigh of relief. And we went on with the meeting. But had I tried any other tactics, I think I would have failed miserably and potentially caused a panic.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Man, you're bringing me back to the experience of reading your article where I read the setup and the scenario and think, oh, my goodness, what would I do <laughs> in that situation? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so can I a, throw another uh, one in? Yeah, please do. Because I'm like a popcorn machine when it comes to stories. So <laughs> you know, somebody stop me. Uh, I was in Houston, Texas, speaking in front of about 500 people, and in the middle of my speech, a houseman with the hotel—he was part of the setup crew. And mm-hmm. he just walked on stage right in the middle of my speech. Now I'm speaking to five hundred people. I'm the only person on stage, and he just he seems oblivious to the fact that he's interrupting, and he walks right up to me, and I'm standing there in the center of the stage next to him, and he said, "You want an asthma?" I said, "What?" He said, "You want an asthma?" I said, "What?" And the guy <laughs> in the front row said, "He asked, "Do you want a house man?" And I said, "Oh." <laughs> And I, and I turned back to him and I said, no. And then I said, stay here for a second. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I turned to the 500 people in the audience and I said, does anybody out there want a house man? And the <laughs> guy, and they all laughed. And a guy in the back said, I'm so sorry. I'm the one who called. <laughs> he needed help with something. And the guy, instead of coming to the room and talking to him, walked right up on stage in the middle of everything. Uh, but we got a wow. laugh out of it, had a good time. And I told the guy, see that man in the back? He's the one you want to talk to. He said, OK. I said, thank you. And we all gave him a round of applause as he walked <laughs> off stage. So, you know, didn't humiliate him, didn't really interrupt my connection with the audience. And had a little fun with it. <laughs>
0: I'm just wondering, Jim, again, I'm amazed at as, as to the number of stories that you have, how you can just pick them out of the air, the ones you want to use, you know, which popcorn kernel to pop, but um, you've experienced <laughs> all of these. I'm just curious, do you still get any of those oh no moments where perhaps you're not sure how to handle it or what to do, or do you think you've pretty much covered it? <laughs>
2: I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of them waiting for me that I haven't figured out how to deal with yet. But the, the thing that has helped me in situations like that is I don't think from my point of view, I think from the audience point of view. For example, one night, I uh, don't remember where it was, it seems like it was Ohio, uh, a man in the audience had a seizure, some kind of a medical emergency a man in the audience waved his hand to me. And so I stopped my speech and I said, yes, question or comment. He said, we have a medical emergency. Is there a doctor in the house? And of course he didn't have a microphone. I did. I I was the one who could make a difference quickly. And I said, folks, we've got a guy over here who's having a medical emergency. Uh, Is there anyone here who's a paramedic or a doctor? Good Would you please go over there and and would everyone else please stay seated and stay out of the way while they handle this? Now, what I was talking about a moment ago, if you will take a moment and write that down, you can be working on that while they work out the issues and help this man. And so that went on for a moment and it seemed like it was going to go longer. And I said, looks like it's going to take longer to resolve this. So let's take a 10 minute break and go out in the hallway and then uh, let them resolve the issues and then we'll get back together. And so they did, but that's the sort of thing, you, know, you never know when it's coming or where it's coming from, or you might have a piece of equipment that falls over backstage or, you know, a, a bird runs into a window and breaks it or something. There's so many bizarre things. You just have to be quick about shifting your perspective onto your audience and thinking about their reaction, I had one time, where, and here I go again, but I had one where <laughs> they came into the room at the beginning of my speech and said, Jim, excuse me, uh, I need the microphone. I said, okay. So I paused. Now I hadn't been speaking 10 minutes. I'm just beginning to lay out the relationship with the audience for a full one hour speech and uh, get into some of the details. So I handed him the microphone and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but our chairman, the founder of our company just passed away. He said he was at home with his family and, you know, we knew he had had some problems, but we didn't expect him to be on the edge of passing away. And sure enough, this morning he expired Just like one hour ago, and I knew you'd want to know right away. So there's you know, nothing to do at this time, but I wanted you to know. Thanks, Jim. Here's your microphone back. (laughs) I didn't want the microphone back. (laughs) The last thing I wanted was to be back in the spotlight again. So I thought, oh you know, Lord, what do I do? And then I said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure many of you, because of the relationship you had with this beloved man, are feeling deep sorrow or or concerns right now. So in light of this, could we all just take a moment of silence and just say a quick prayer for the welfare of his family and to thank the Lord for his existence? And the the imprint that he was able to leave in this company and in our lives. So, moment of silence, please. And then we were all quiet. Wow. And I waited until it seemed like uh, they were starting to get restless, which would indicate they were done. And I said, thank you for that. And then I physically moved to a different position in front of the room to sort of mark a uh, change Yeah, From what had been going on to what was going next. And then I said, the thing I was talking about earlier that stands out the most is this. And then I stated whatever that was. I don't recall it at this time. And then went immediately into a story to illustrate my point. So that I pulled their mind, their consciousness into a different place from where they had been a few minutes before.
0: Yeah. Wow. This is just fascinating. Going back a couple of stories ago, I felt that there was an ongoing message or a theme that you were sharing when you talked about shifting perspective. And it was reminding me of earlier, my early days in Toastmasters, when I had this horrible fear, I had these horrible butterflies. And one of the things that was shared with me was that if I shifted my perspective to the other party, then those butterflies would transfer. And the example that I like to share when I'm telling a story is that most people hate doing cold calling. Of course, this is not a good example for salespeople, but a lot of people hate doing cold calling. But if you shift the perspective and say, well, if you can make a phone call, it can make the difference between somebody having food and shelter. Again, where we're talking about the big fires that were happening and being Mm -hmm. outside and starving for the evening. You know, do you think you could find that energy and be like Nike and just do it? It's amazing how that just always has stuck with me. And so talking about shifting the perspective, it makes sense in terms of taking your dilemma and almost finding a solution.
2: That's excellent, Greg. Yes. One of the things that I say in my book, What to Do When You're the Speaker, is there is no such thing as a fear of public speaking. Now, that, that, that meets with sometimes outrage. People say, that's absurd. Of course there is a fear. I have it myself. I've been petrified. I've seen people. Jim, I know people that died in front of a group because they had to give a speech, you know, <laughs> and they go on about it. And I say, no, every one of us speaks in public throughout our life. If you're on the playground with the other kids and you say, hey, come here, look, look, you got to see this. There's a parade going by. That's public speaking because you're talking to the group. If you say to the family, wait till I tell you what we did at Disneyland this weekend. That's public speaking. Mm -hmm. If you say, excuse me, excuse me, does anyone here know where the uh, restrooms are? That's public speaking. Mm -hmm. We're not afraid of public speaking. We're afraid of being judged. Mm. So everybody can speak in public with no problem at all. But when they feel like the other people are looking at them and thinking, okay, let's see if you're any good or not, then all of a sudden the nervousness comes in. And you know why? Because you're not thinking about them. You're not thinking about your message. You're thinking about you. And that's exactly what you did, Greg. You shifted perspective away from you to the needs of the other person. So what's the key to overcoming fear in public speaking? It's to focus on the value of your message to your audience and to focus on how you get it to them instead of who you are and how you're delivering it.
0: Yeah. Wow.
2: And doing that takes the fear away because it it has no place to live. There's nothing to be fearful about. Are you afraid to speak? No, I'm not. Okay, wait a minute. I'm going to get together a crowd. Now, are you afraid to speak? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Many of the examples you gave us, you were reacting to a situation when the guy got up on stage or when the lights went out. Now Mm -hmm. astronauts, if I've read this correctly, they go through two years of rigorous training to try to work through every possible conceivable scenario up in space, because when you're up there, there's no do-overs. Now in speaking what kind of mindset do you need to be able to do this? I mean, obviously you do these things on the fly, but how can one learn to prepare for a scenario of impossible or infinite possibilities?
2: Here's one of the things I do. I arrive early for every presentation, period, every presentation as early as is practical. And I immediately go to the venue where the presentation is going to happen. And I look From the audience's point of view, you know, what does it look like from out here in the audience? What does it look like from the side? What does it look like from way in the back? And then I go up on stage and I look at it. And then I go around to all of the exits, especially when there are fire exits, where it's just a doorway that says exit above it. Mm -hmm. And I open those exits and see where it leads. And sometimes they lead outdoors. That's great if they're unlocked. Uh, other times, the fire exit will lead you to an interior hallway, which will lead you to another interior hallway, which will lead you to a third one and lead you back to where you started in the first place. I mean, some of those are not effective fire escapes at all. I, once in Washington, D.C., in the dead of winter, on a Sunday, I was presenting to 700 people, and we were three levels below street, street level in this convention hotel. And in the middle of my talk, my, that was back in the days of slide projectors in the middle of my talk, the slide projector itself burst and it made a big pop and there was a spark flying out of it. And I thought, wow, that's pretty much (laughs) settles that. No more audio visuals. And then the, the blinking lights, the emergency lights started going off. And I said to 700 people, I said, ladies and gentlemen, we don't know whether there's a a fire or or what the emergency is, but we do know this. Now's not a good time to just sit here in this room. So with the 350 of you to this side of the room, please exit through the back doors because these side doors only lead to another hallway. Exit through the back doors and go up the stairwells because the elevators won't be working. And the other 350 of you here go through these side doors and there's a stairwell that leads directly to street level. So I'll meet all of you outside on the street. Please exit the room right now. And I stayed there with the microphone and guided them through their exits and then I joined them. When we got to street level, we found out that there really was a hotel fire And we couldn't get back inside for hours. And it was cold. It was November or December. We're stuck. We can't even go to our hotel rooms and get our coats. And so I said, follow me to the 700 people. And we walked across the street because all the neighboring buildings were locked. It was a Sunday. And there were no restaurants or coffee shops open. And I said, sit next to each other on the steps of this big building and sit really close because you need the body heat. (laughs) And for those of you that are interested, I will shorten but complete my seminar. And the rest of you, you can think about or talk about whatever you want to. And so I did. And then we were able to get back into the hotel in stages, you know, got into a protected area and then a warm area. And then we had Mm. full access. But the meeting planner of that event said, oh, my gosh, Jim, you're my hero. And they wrote me a recommendation to die for. And I sent it out to every prospective client I had for years.
1: Wow. There is another story that I'd like to invite you to tell. You can maybe just briefly share this one because I, um, I want to ask you some questions about it. Okay. Can you tell us the story about the, uh, the drunken man? going into the banquet room <laughs>
2: <laughs> Kalamazoo Michigan yep it was a Sheraton or a Hilton hotel something like that in downtown Kalamazoo Michigan long ago and I was on stage in front of about 400 people at a banquet and I was in the middle of my my keynote speech and everything was going wonderfully and this big lumberjack looking guy with a beard and a you know a Mackinaw jacket on top of his shirt Stumbles into the room and he's clearly totally blotto drunk. And he starts yelling, I could, you know, and he's challenging everyone in the audience to fight. And he's telling us how he could whip any one of us. And yeah. I, I realize I'm the only guy in the room with a microphone. So it's up to me to engage this character. And do I want to? Well, if I don't you know, then it's going to descend into chaos. So Mm -hmm. I I yelled into the microphone, sir, are you talking to me? And he looks around. He doesn't know where the sound's coming from. And I waved my arms. I said, up here on stage, it's me. Are you talking to me? He said, yeah, I can kick your butt. You know, and he goes on with his boat. (laughs) And I said, you probably can. And then I said, ladies and gentlemen, I need eight very large men To stand up, please. Just stand where you are. And uh, I said, okay, that's three. All right, four, five. and need three more. Three, six. Okay, there. We've got eight. Uh, So I have eight big men standing up in this audience of 400. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, would you eight men please help this man find the exit? And they all started toward him, and he panicked and ran out of the room. (laughs) (laughs) i love that (laughs) i remember
1: when i was reading it thinking like I think I would try to, I don't know, make peace with the guy before I read your solution. <laughs> I'd try to say, oh, you know, I'm really sorry, sir, that you're upset. But uh, you know, I don't know. And, and I would like, uh, there's probably no good ending to that. Or
2: well, you could say, but, let uh, me buy you a drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but it, here's, here's what I found challenging about your yeah. solution. Um, the word liability. Popped into my mind. And I know that it really, it swings both ways, right? Because you could do nothing and really put people in harm's way. But uh, by the same token, your solution potentially could have put some of those eight large men in harm's way. Let's say they went over Mm -hmm. to escort the guy and he actually engaged them. Um, Sure. But um, I'm just curious how you weigh that in your mind. It's uh, again, it sounds like maybe one of those, there's no perfect solution scenario. So you just gotta go with your God, I guess.
2: My thinking is I want to do something that's perceived by the audience as reasonable, sensible, mature, appropriate, and and at the same time, you're correct. I didn't want to put anybody in in a position to be harmed. My audience was all, every single one of them, under thirty-five. Mm. So they were young men and women. And yeah when these, the reason I called for eight is I wanted a number big enough to scare the daylights out of this guy and yeah, to give that was them the, the confidence that none, no one of them had to take him on. Yeah. And yep. so if I had called for three or maybe even five might've not been enough and 10, it's stretching it. You're asking for too many and it would take too long, but right. with Eight, which seemed impulsively under the under the tension of the moment, the right number. Yeah. It turned out to be a good choice. And sure enough, the closer they got to him, the more he was unwilling to press it any further. And so he stumbled out into the lobby. And interestingly, post-script, there was a, a female security guard out there, and she put him on his knees and handcuffed him had him all the way. <laughs> Nice.
1: Nice. Nice. <laughs> I, uh, I wonder how this might have played out differently if you'd been speaking to the Red Hat Society.
2: Yeah. No kidding. Would eight of you large late? Nope. I don't think that's going to work. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a- that's a great one to think about. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I uh, I love hearing your uh, sort of your deeper analysis and, uh, you know, why, again, you chose specifically eight and
0: not 10 and not five. Uh, that was really great. Yeah. Thank you. And that's why the podcast enhances the articles in the Toastmaster magazine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, get, you get to hear the deep. Now, my question, Jim, has nothing that's no, there's no violence in it and probably no liability.
2: oh Where's the fun in that? Oh, yeah. yeah, I know. I know. <laughs>
0: We can agree there's nothing like starting off on the wrong foot, even if it's not yours. Now, this question is not directly covered in the article, but it's relevant to the conversation. In your latest book, What to Do When You're the Speaker, there's a chapter on recovering from bad introductions. And in there, you talk with things ranging from flawed program bios to, let's call it, slightly overzealous MCs. Could you please share a story or two or a couple of tips? Greg, are you asking this question
1: based on my flubbed introduction of Jim today? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, there, there's a couple that come to mind. One was an introduction where a guy in, in uh, Nebraska got up and read a bio of another person with my same name, Jim Cathcart. Oh, Turns out wow. he was a trainer for the Stephen Covey organization at the time. And, uh, and it was his bio that was being read. Now, the reason he was reading the wrong bio is the Speaker's Bureau, who had scheduled me for that event, had sent the wrong bio. And Mm. they evidently had this other guy in their files as well as me. Well, usually I'm the only Jim Cathcart around. But it turns out there are two of us in the field of training and development overall. So um, this Bureau agent sent the wrong bio. And I hadn't thought to check ahead of time because I always send a copy of my bio to the meeting chairman separate from whatever the bureau does. And I carry an extra one in my coat pocket and it's at the meeting. And I ask them, you know, do you need an extra a copy of my bio? A lot of times they'll say, Oh, thank you so much. You saved me. I left it up in my hotel room on the 33rd floor in the neighboring building. So even though you send it in advance, a lot of times it never makes its way to the meeting room. So if I've got one on me, I can just hand it to the person. But this guy, unhappily, had gotten up not only with the wrong one, but read it aloud. And I looked in their handouts, and in their handouts, they had reprinted the wrong bio too, even had the (laughs) other guy's picture in there. (laughs) <laughs> and so he finishes his intro let's welcome Jim Cathcart so I, I bound up onto the stage and I shook the guy's hand and I said thank you for that and I turned to the audience and I said would you please open your handout to page three to the bio for Jim Cathcart and they looked down at it and that, and they looked back <laughs> up at me and I said quite obviously that's not me So please take your pen (laughs) or pencil and mark a big X through that bio. (laughs) I said, now, here's the thing. The Speakers Bureau sent that. So it's easy for me to throw this off on the Speakers Bureau. Well, I don't want to do that because I want a continuing relationship with the Speakers Bureau. And I Mm -hmm. don't want to embarrass the guy before me. So here's what I did. I said, you know, there's a speaker with the same name, Jim Cathcart, who's a trainer for another organization. And one of my staff members was probably playing a practical joke on me and sent his bio instead. So let (laughs) me tell you who I really am and why I'm here today. And then I launched into my talk and everything went fine.
0: Saving face is part of the communication stream. That's great.
2: (laughs) And that's the thing. The people that worry about themselves They're trying to save their face. Your face doesn't matter. You're a vehicle for the audience. It's their saving face that you want to focus on.
0: Folks, if you've had as much fun today as Ryan and I and Jim obviously has had, I encourage you all to tune into the Toastmasters podcast, share it with your family and friends and fellow Toastmasters. You can find the Toastmasters podcast at toastmasterspodcast.com, toastmasters.org. Google, Apple, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you find your podcasts. Ryan? Jim, your experience, your flight time
1: on all of these stages across the world, I I think that's the only way that you can come up with this number (laughs) of of stories and this um, versatility to just respond in the moment. Um, But I, I would love to invite you, Jim, to share where listeners can Find out more about you, uh, fly into your orbit in the online world. And I know you have a special offer, a really cool offer for our listeners as well. So I'll invite you to share that, please.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that, Ryan. Uh, Yes, the book that this comes from, a lot of these stories come from, is my latest book, which is called What to Do When You're the Speaker. And it's available everywhere they sell books. Uh, But you can get a free copy Toastmasters, just go to free.cathcart.com. Those three words, free.cathcart.com. You just put your email in and download a copy of the, the entire book right there. And I'm happy to share that. And by the way, one of the things that you commented on was that I had fun. And you're absolutely right. I love telling stories. And I love reliving these moments you've reminded me of. And I had a friend chime in on a, uh, the Zoom call I was doing the other day in the chat. It said, it's so much fun seeing you having so much fun. Take that, listeners, take that as personal recommendation. Find a way to have fun while you're doing your presentation and your audience will have fun do, listening to it as well.
1: Beautiful. I love that. Well, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Jim. Really, really, really appreciate it.
2: By the way, call me back anytime. I love doing this.
0: Tim Cathcart, it's been an absolute pleasure. Ever imagined a book written just for you? Introducing Pooks.ai. We're not just another bookstore. We're the future of reading. Our state-of-the-art AI adapts each book to your specific needs, creating a personalized masterpiece. Visit pooks.ai now, that's P-O-O-K-S dot AI, and use the promotion code SPOTIFY for a whopping 50% off. Pooks.ai, your personalized
1: book awaits.